Welcome back, everybody, to the Intern and the Expert podcast. As always, <laughs> I am uh, one half of your hosts, Byron Luckart, and I'm joined by... Susan Duffy. And today we have our expert. He is a 20-year legend <laughs> in the... Um, in the property industry, and he is Chief Operating Officer Correct. at GJ Gardener. Welcome, Simon Curtis. Thanks very much. Woo! Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here in the studio and to see Byron's uh, shiny latex pants. I <laughs> yeah. didn't realise that's how you dress for it's work. It's off camera. <laughs> Just don't worry about it. <laughs> how many states are you across as Chief um, Operating Officer? New South Wales, ACT in Western Australia. All the important cool. ones. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, anyway, everywhere um, apart from Queensland where I live. Yeah, that's convenient. <laughs> yes, yeah. Lucky we can do everything online now, hey? That's true. Mm. Where do we start? I mean, we've, well, we've we, had a little... I think we need to hold on because off. firstly, the um, it's called Intern and the Expert, but uh-huh. we've had a little bit of a situation happen since the last we episode. Have. We have. Um, I mean, um, we're sticking with the name. That's, yes. That's for Byron sure. got a big promotion. But uh, I And am... he's now Marketing Coordinator, Channel Marketing. Congratulations. You, so, you really chucked the you chucked the label on me to yeah. make you sound um, sound a lot cooler than I am. So you, I'm happy with it. That's yeah. right. But marketing coordinator and the expert doesn't really rhyme no, or work. It so it's still going to be intern and expert. But like I said, um, I'm still an intern when it comes to the knowledge that we are trying to get our experts to extract Excellent. from our experts on the podcast. So I'm still learning. I've, <laughs> I've got a, I've, oh, I've got a lot to learn. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so but, tell us a bit about your yeah. role at the moment, Simon. Yeah, so um, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for GJ Gardner Homes, New South Wales, ACT and WA. Um, and GJ Gardner is a franchise building business, so the largest franchise building business in the country. So my role looks after um, providing support tools, resources to 31 uh, building businesses in New South Wales and just two in WA. So we um, we essentially yeah provide them with, with those, that support. To, to help them grow their business. Yeah. I was thinking cool. this morning um, that, firstly, I have full disclosure, Simo is my mate as well. I feel like we're just interviewing our friends, which some, at some point like we're going to have to interview people that we don't know. True. But um, for now, um, Simon Curtis is long-term friend, met at Stockland, another yep. Stockland, um, ex-Stockland person. Um, but when we were talking about why we wanted to pick Simon to be yeah. interviewed, um, the couple of things that, uh, really shouted out to me was um, your leadership skills. So we'll talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. um, and your consistency and operational, which I've been I've been exposed to, which is good. And as a mar- marketing person who was just described as organised chaos, quite clearly we had um, you know um, <laughs> not a clash, but I was um, I don't know I learned a lot from Simon. But also I think um, in this probably for the last two to five years, if there was an ever a type of I guess, company type that has seen a lot of challenges, um, uh, yeah, struggled a little bit, but also have a lot of success. It's building partners, right? It's builders and project builders. Mm. So I think um, we've got a really good opportunity to kind of hear a little bit later on, um, a little bit about how, you know, a company like GJ and Simon as a leader has been able to step through that whole process yeah. and come out the side from what I can see um, in a really positive light. But Anyway, we'll leave that on and that uh, was, a little bit later. That was a big part about um, when I was trying to like when we were trying to brainstorm what we who we want to get on next. You know, we've got all these ideas. I really wanted to get someone who's been through you know project like worked his way up and then 
you know, actually being like a project developer and stuff like that. Cause I'm, I'm quite interested in it. You know, we're, we're working with a lot of different people like that. And, you know, I just, um, yeah, I just want to know, I just want to know like how you kind of get there. Cause it's kind of, it's a bit, it's a bit like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand how you would like, I'm like, how would you work your way up basically? <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think, I, mean. I think my path is also very varied. You know, I, it's not like I came from school, went straight into property, worked my no, way no, up and ended no, up no. here. You know, I've kind of, I've taken a few different travels. So yes, yeah, let's get into which it. Which is good. Should we go back? This is your life. Yeah. Take us let's, back. Let's back go to the back. beginning. Where did you go Just, to school? Oh, I went to school everywhere. So I was born in uh, Perth, Western Australia. Um, my father was a career military person, retired a brigadier, but when I was born, he was a squadron commander in the Special Air Service Regiment. So he um, spent a lot of his military career in the Special Forces. So I was born in Perth when he was at the SAS base there and subsequently moved around heaps. So every three years. Yeah, I've got one older brother, uh, Tim, um, but he's a couple of years older than me. And then there's just us two boys. So yeah, so grew up just traveling every three years pretty much. So here, there and everywhere, changed schools multiple times, predominantly lived on military bases. Um, so I remember moving again back at uh, back in Perth when I was in, in primary school. My father was the commanding officer of the SAS. And I, I remember we moved to Canberra afterwards and we were going out into a, you know, a suburban house. So off a base for the first time where it's gated security, yeah, et cetera. Right. And I remember as a young kid being terrified that I'm going out into this community yeah, where yeah, where people get broken into and robbed and so on. So, yeah, but moved around heaps um, and finished my schooling in Brisbane. So I did my last two years of school in Brisbane, year 11 and 12. What school? Uh, Mara Stashgrove. Yeah, right. So, yeah, military family, two boys, and went to all boys' schools all my, oh my life. Oh, so, gosh, yeah. that poor mother. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my, mother, my mother is... Yeah. Uh, Legend. Is, is a legend, absolutely. And, um, so, yeah, I finished school when I was um, 16 because I'd moved around so much. Hey, um, you said that. That's crazy. Yeah. And my... And my He's boasting. He just, like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just, they were just like, dude, boy, this guy's boy genius. Just <laughs> flicking through. Boy genius. Now I skipped a grade as a result of travelling. And, and I, I wanted to join the military. That was... My brother had, had followed that path, so he'd gone to the Defence Force Academy and How started his military career. Two years? Two, just yeah. under two years. Um, so I applied to, um, to join the military, to go to the Royal Military College. Um, and I went through all of the process, including the selection board and testing and so on. Um, but, uh, was told I was too young. So you have to be 17 on the day of entry and I was going to be 16 after my first year of school. So I decided what what I'll do. I didn't want to go to a, do a gap year as such. So I thought I'll go to uni, um, -hmm. and I'll join the reserve and I'll do both. So I ended up um, going to uni as a 16 year old, um, did a Bachelor of Business and at the same time joined the Reserve, had the same problem because I couldn't actually swear an oath to join the military mm. until my 17th birthday. So I joined the Reserve but then I had to wait until the day of my 17th birthday to hold the Bible and swear an oath to okay. the Queen of the time. And I, then I, I did my, did my military training. I was wondering when I saw, um, you know, when I you know, looked you up and did a bit of research, I was wondering if you did that course through the Army or Yeah, whatever. at the same time. So yeah, um, okay. I was at a university regiment, so I spent three years in a training process yeah. to, to become commissioned. So I, w- I was commissioned as a lieutenant in after that three years of training and then yeah. went into the sort of the um, reserve mm-hmm. posting cycle and got posted to a couple of places in various job roles. But that was alongside what I was doing at uni and then al- alongside what I was doing when I started working because yeah. it was a part-time military 
petition. And can I can I ask as well because I'm interested because I actually did a bachelor of business. Or I right. started a bachelor of business. Still <laughs> so doing. So I want to ask break. you specifically what um, what attracted that for you? Was it the broadness? Because that's kind of how I went. Or, and also like. What were you kind of yeah probably probably to? to a point I think I just didn't know I I, I I had sort of two career paths in mind one was the military that was yeah. my primary and then that got shut down and I was sort of trying to work out what I was going to do my other path was hotels and hotel management mm-hmm. so the 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 bachelor of business was a bachelor of business in ho- business in hotel management which is why I went and oh, did okay. it okay um, and that then led to my first career which was a career in five star hotels which so I did for a number hotels? of years. So how hotels how do you right. get an interest in wanting to do that? I don't know like when I don't know when I look at um, my dad's history like my family history mm. like my dad's pe- uh, grandparents um, owned pubs like country pubs in WA and yeah, so right. maybe it was just there um, but yeah I just sort of always had an interest in it I always like cooked you know when I was a kid yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Self-sufficient. Yeah, like yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of like the path that I did. And then I ended up, the idea was I'd go to uni, join the reserve, make a decision after my first year. And I loved both of it. I loved uni. I met some great met some great people, was having a great time. As a 16-year-old living on campus, my parents were in a different state. I had an amazing time. <laughs> um, and uh, alongside it was doing my reserve stuff. So, yeah, in the end I decided to stick with it and just do both of them rather than join the regular army. Yeah, cool. So Gatton was the uni? Yeah, okay. correct, yeah. So when I first went there, it was an ag college and then it changed to the University of Queensland Gatton campus um, during my during that sort of um, first couple of <laughs> first couple of years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I finished, finished off that um, and then moved to the Gold Coast into Australia, the hotels. Right. So tell me, what, so how did you get into the Gold Coast then? What, what well, was that? It was simply... Opportunity. Yeah. You're going to finish a, univ- a degree in, in hotel management. You're going to go to where, where all the hotels are. And it was you know, in the 90s, the Gold Coast was... Booming. Know, was the so you had at that stage no interest or kind of nothing around the property at that stage? I knew nothing of property, like zero. I was so naive to property. So I, um, you know, jumping to that, to that sort of stage, I worked my way up in hotels to the banquet manager, food and beverage manager type roles. And I was working for Radisson um, eventually. And uh, this guy who lived locally used to come in with his family or friends and entertain a lot. And he used to spend a lot of money. And so I used to, you know, when he was around, I used to come out and see him and have a drink with him and have a chat. And one day, you know, he was having a drink at the bar and we're having a chat. And he said, oh, would you like to have a coffee with me tomorrow? I said, yeah, sure. No problems. So he came in and we had a coffee and he said, oh, um, I'd like to, um, to see if you want to come and work for me. And he said, and I said, sure. What is it that you do? Because we hadn't spoken much about his career and what he did. And he said, oh, I'm a property developer. And I said, awesome. What's that? That's about how much I knew about property. How old were you at this time? Oh, I was 20? 28, okay. I reckon. Um, and I'd, I'd had enough hotels. That was clear. Okay. I was working ridiculous hours for ridiculously low money. Yeah. Um, enjoyed it, but it, I, would, I just got engaged. I knew that. When I would have a baby, um, and I knew that I didn't want to be working nights, weekends, and twenty to crazy twenty-eight hours. is a long period of time to work in hospitality. It is, right? yeah, absolutely. But it is. what did you like about, like, what kept you there? What were the things you liked about the industry? It's the people, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. So, like, they're just fun people. They're just always fun. Yeah. Like, good groups of people. And do you think being in kind of a, a leadership, like. Yeah, role a, as well. A, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I mean, we got to change. Like, I got to change and influence some of the food and beverage, th- you know, departments that I was in, and we got some good results. And and that was, I suppose, what you know, the, the person that approached me, Dave Hamilton. That's what he sort of mentioned to me. I've I've seen you here. 
love what you do, love what you've done with this business, like, like you to come and work for me. He specifically wanted me to come and work for him with no experience because he didn't yeah. want me to be... Preconditioned. Yeah, preconditioned yeah. with, with you know, um, uh, some kind of you know, previous experience. So I, I went in, I, I said, yeah, absolutely. You did? Yeah, yeah. He said, look, I'll pay where, you, where I'll pay you, you exactly... Exactly what you're on now. So, where was the job offer? Gold Coast. Oh, so yeah, so I, I yeah, so I went and worked for Dave in a sales role. So he was um, he was doing his own developments. He'd, he'd done a lot of big stuff in through the '90s, but had scaled his business back. You know, he'd lost lost some money during the crash in the '90s in yeah. the Gold Coast. Scaled it back. Was just doing enough to sort of keep himself and a couple of people busy. Didn't want to become big again, um, and was doing predominantly investment um, um, properties. Okay. So, you know. Uh, terrace houses, townhouses, right. detached homes, um, and selling to interstate investors at the time that the marketeers were around. Uh-huh. So he liked the process of that, but didn't like the ethics that were being used by some of the bigger marketeering firms. So I went and worked for him. Um, you know, we ended up getting some qualifications in real estate. I got, got some qualifications to provide financial advice. Because what we're... was your role with him? Sales. Just... I started yeah, doing right. sales. So I started with him in October. I remember this. Um, and we were selling into uh, New South Wales, Victoria and WA and we did a sales run. So we'd, we'd have conversations with people about negative gearing in the same way that the marketeers used to. Um, yeah, I got a, a qualification from the finance, in, Financial Institute to provide financial advice on property. So I sat all those exams. Um, and I did a sales run and went to Sydney, Victoria and then to Perth. And I can't remember how many properties I sold, but I know that my commission that I earned in 10 days of selling was more than my wage in hotels. And I was... You were like, yes! What is going on? <laughs> now, do you know what a marketeer is? No, I do not. So basically, <laughs> um, the marketeer, marketeering companies would um, essentially approach people that were looking to buy investment property. So a lot of southern states would buy investment property in Queensland. It was relatively cheap in comparison to the likes of Sydney, Victoria and WA. Yeah, right. And um, it was always based on financial advice. So, you know, there was a lot of ads going around about, you know, buy this house on the Gold Coast for $40 a week. Mm-hmm. And that was a result of the negative negative gearing concept. So you'd go to someone, you'd talk about um, where they were financially. Most of them had property, so they had equity in their property. And it was a conversation about take, you know, use that equity to buy an investment property at your current um, income levels with yourself and your partner or yourself. Um, after negative gearing, this 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 property will only co- and rent this property will only cost you forty dollars a week, and that was kind of the process. So the property was secondary to the financial mm. planning side, Structure, if you like, yeah, right. um, and that was quite common. So um, when I say there were other there were other companies that were essentially flying people up from Sydney, almost inducing them to buy, keeping them in locations where they couldn't go and check local property prices and were selling inflated pro- property at inflated prices. Yeah, right. We did it all. So we did the development, we did the sales, we ended up having an, a finance arm. So we had our own mortgage management business um, and we kept it largely in-house. So yeah, we sold, we sold properties mainly through South East Queensland, did a little bit in Victoria. Um, so okay. coming from a business background <clears throat> and then into hotels, you weren't doing sales in hotels, right? No, you no, were food and beverage, yeah, operations. So yeah. how did you go from operations into sales and what how did you? Yeah, how did you yeah. It, it was really. Um, it was like Dave was my mentor, you know. So, um, you know, he'd done it for He's years. He'd sold. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and even more than that. So I so I did sales for a couple of months, mm. and then we had property starting. So we did thirty odd townhouses at the Sunshine Coast, for example. So I, so I used to go with Dave to all of his meetings with his accountant, with his lawyers, um, to all of the site meetings. Um, 
and I got exposure to all of this process that I could never have done in any other way. So, you know, we'd go and sit with these accountants on company structures. We'd sit with these lawyers on the contract preparation or the company structures. You'd just be like a sponge. It was mental, yeah. So then (laughs) I remember being at the sunny coast on this this 30-odd townhouse development and... um, and Dave, uh, Dave Hamilton was very um, entrepreneurial. You know, loved the loved the deals and, and setting the things up. But the day to day administration of that personality type is is very boring. They just yeah. so I, I then fell into a project management type role. So I'd be in a, in site meetings with you know the whether it was um, pre construction. So in the pre construction meetings with the consultants as we went through plans with all the various disciplines, or on site when we'd appointed a contractor. And I remember being in this one at the Sunshine Coast in the site shed and this, this job had started, this townhouse job had started. And I was, without knowing what I was doing, I was, I was starting to project management, this project manage this process. And I'd have a book in front of me and the book was just there to take notes of things that I did not understand. And I'd fill it. <laughs> this is kind of oh, what we absolutely. Did. This is like exactly what we did. Because have you seen, have you seen um, a lingo the guide. lingo guide? No. Oh, I you know what? It. I think I do have one. Yeah, I'll show you after. Well, I yeah. needed it, but I needed it 20 years ago, Byron. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we've got it, you know. Exactly. We're, the we're thinking ahead. Were like rubbing on well, yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was construction. So at that, like that particular meeting was construction, but it was, yeah, I did the same with the consultant meetings because I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. Yeah, no. And I'd just, <laughs> I, you know, I'd just be, you know, just full of confidence. And then I'd go out, <laughs> I'd go out and sit in my car, yeah. open my laptop, and I'd be like, what was what? that? What yeah. were they talking about? And then I gradually, obviously, learn more. And then I sort of progressed from there um, over the course of, I was probably with Dave for, oh, I want to say, five-plus years. Um, Into your 30s then? Yeah, 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 yeah. in my 30s, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd been married, we had kids, you know, I was still working for Dave. Um, and I kind of went into site acquisition. So we were doing, we had jobs going, we were selling them, we did townhouses, terrace houses, detached houses. We had a pub going in Townsville. We looked at childcare. We were doing you some know. childcare. Was his growth plan always like that? Yeah, it was always small. It was only, there was only ever three or four of us. Um, and it was all we always sold ourselves, you know. So we did all the selling, and including Dave, we used to go away on sales trips Mate, together. He got a good pick with you. Oh, it was mental. But <laughs> I, I got the exposure I got was crazy, and and even to the point where um, I started to do acquisition stuff. So you know, if, if if you could see that the pipeline was, you know, we didn't have anything in the pipeline coming up, I'd just be looking for sites, mm. you know. And it's and, and how I come, did you do that back then? Oh, back then it sounds ages. Yeah, so I just I, I I would we had RP data. Yeah. Um, and I'd, like, you'd be able to see areas, and I focused on the Gold Coast area, and particularly we're looking at Resi. So I focused on the Gold, Co- Gold Coast, and I just print off maps, and I just have maps on my wall from RP Data with the lot and plan details and the owner's details. And I'd, and I'd go and have a look at you know, what it was zoned, what it potentially could be zoned, speak to the town planner. And then I'd come to Dave, and I'd say, hey, you know, I found this site. And he goes, well, run me through your feasibility. So I'd run it through it, through it, and he'd be like, "You idiot! You know, there's no way that'll work for this, that, and the other reason." Off you go. Um, okay, so off I go. Again. Yep, and find another site and come back to him, and that just went on and on and on. Um, and I remember one. I, I, Have you um, ever built a feasibility before? Nah, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, but gradually, Excel. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like it was just paper to start yeah. off with. Like I was just like, oh, I think the first one was like, "Here's a site. I think we could do this," and he's like. You can't, you idiot. <laughs> but try again. So, um, so then I, I remember um, I was up in Upper Coomera and there was this, um, this old prize home. So big double-storey house, tennis court pool, I want to say three and a half hectares, but right around it was residential. And by that right. stage, I'd, I'd failed enough to know that this was pretty, pretty prime. So I went and had a look at it and sure enough, you know, could it be easily rezoned? Um, and, and I went and knocked on the door. So I, I drive down this long sweeping driveway, knock on the door, and the owner, Bart, answers the door. 
And I said, oh, you know, g'day, my name's Simon Curtis. I work for uh, the development company I was working for at the time. Um, you know, have you ever been interested in selling your house? Um, and, you know, sort of Bart was very gracious and led me in and said thanks very much and then pretty much pulled out a stack of about 60 business cards from all the other oh, people yeah. that had tried to buy this house. And I said, look, and he said, Challenge look. Challenge Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he said, look not, look, not at this time. I said, no problems at all, Bart. Like, Do you mind if I stay in contact with you? And he said, no, that's fine. And so I went back to the office and I, I threw his number in my calendar and just called him every two months, three months, whatever it might be. And I ring him up and say, hey, g'day, Bart, Simon, you know, you're, you're looking at selling yet? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, not looking at selling. I said, okay, no problems at all. And this went on for probably 12 months. And then one day I was in... One nightmare. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't like people. I hate, I hate calling in like, I can't do the, oh. I can't do the like, <laughs> call back, call back, call well, back. Well, you, you, you can't do no. sales. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> no, no way. Is, I know I sales. Like, yeah. oh, I know. Jumping back to when I was selling, I used to sit there with, a, with like a handphone and my challenge was never put your phone down. So I'd, I'd hold it against <laughs> oh, my right ear right. and I'd dial a number, which is cold calling, to try and get leads. And I'd cold call just people from wherever, from a, a, a list we'd bought or from a directory or wherever it might be. Um, and you got, because you get so many rejections. Yeah. And the, How the, many the calls challenges, you, did you give yourself? I'd, I'd do days. I'd do a full day just of calls. Cool. And I'd be like, 50 calls and then you can have a break. But so you're talking to salespeople right today and you have to do 50 calls a week. Oh, mental. <laughs> So my challenge was don't put the phone down because I knew if I put the phone down, I wouldn't pick it up because it's depressingly bad. And I'd just go and go yeah. and go and go until you started to develop leads. But anyway. So what happened with Bart? So anyway, I'm cruising along one day in my car. My phone rings um, and, uh, and it was Bart. <gasps> he's oh, calling wow. you. And he's like, tables have Simon, it's Bart. I said, oh, g'day, Bart. How are you going? And he's like, yeah, good. I'm thinking of selling. And I said, Bart, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Turned the car around <laughs> and flew awesome. up there and negotiated this deal. So, really? yeah, so wow. we ended up negotiating this deal. Um, and, uh, and yeah, got it through town went, planning. Wow, that's um, awesome. And we, we, we essentially, I can't remember now, but it was, we put 30 things on there, duplexes, yeah. some triplexes, detached houses. Uh, and then we got to the point of earthworks um, and I was on site selling it. So I had a site office on site and we were selling it and I was selling yeah, some right. other stuff. Um, and then it was GF, GFC time. And was, I that, was that your biggest deal? That it was, you, it was like, probably my only my only deal that I'd done myself. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's financially, kind of put you on the map. yeah, and Dave was awesome, right? So Dave paid me, you know, good retainer, good commission. Mm -hmm. And once this was going to sell out, I was going to get I was going to get commission and life changing commission. Yeah, yeah that's life changing awesome. from setting up the deal. Yeah, but also I was picking up all the sales commission as well. So this thing was was going to clear my mortgage at the time. That's Ridiculous. Awesome. So I was super excited, and then all of a sudden the phone started ringing, and it was trades saying, "Hey, we haven't been paid." Um, you know, oh, no. can you tell me what's going on? And um, you know, the entities that were involved in that had funded us were involved in childcare. Uh, Eddie Groves, yeah, they'd bought some childcare from Eddie Groves. Yeah. They'd sold some childcare to Eddie Groves. That deal went bad, and subsequently, uh, it was through the start of the GFC, <gasps> that company failed. Um, and so, literally, you know, I had a conversation and uh, and had to go and find another job. <gasps> so, so you didn't whoa. even get to see that completion. No, of that no, job. It's, I've, I've seen it since. I've driven up there and had a look at it. But yeah, no, it was it went back to the bank. Yeah. So I um I, I then went and got a job. Oh, well, then I was scrambling. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Oh, um, that's character building. Because during the during the course <laughs> of that whole that five or whatever years. I realised that I was too far out of hotels to go back into hotels. Mm. Mm. Did but you I was miss not, hotels? Yeah, not really. Okay. <laughs> but I was not deep enough in property and I had no qualifications in property to stay in property. Mm. So somewhere yeah, in the middle right. there, so somewhere in the middle there, I was like, what do you want to do? Because if you want to be in property, then you've got to go and get some study. Yeah. Otherwise, is if this, something happens. This is where you went for, I know you've got a master's. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, I want to do a master's. 
So I thought I'd do an MBA and then I was like, well, like project management management's my thing. Mm. And project management is across a whole heap of disciplines. So I could go and do project management in IT. I could do client-side project management with a project management company. I could do project management through property. There was all mm. these avenues. So I thought I'd do that. So I just studied that part-time. Yeah. So I was yeah, part-time online um, as I was working. Um, so where did you go yeah, after that? Oh, like after that. I went and got a job with a um, project management consultancy. Ah. So there was a consultancy on the Gold Coast. So property was done. Like you, you could not get a job in property at the time. Stockland was doing a heap of redundancies. Oh, yeah, 2000s. Yeah, I can't remember now exactly where. Yeah, um, yeah Stockland was doing redundancy. No one yeah. was hiring in property. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was horrible. Um, but I found a consultancy that was doing project management for government work. So we went in there as a project manager and this office had architects, landscape architects, engineers, Holy. hydraulic engineers, and we just did design. Yeah, well, so I used to manage des- designers, never done it before. Um, Is that where you met Sam? Design. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so right. met, um, again, it's all about the people. So yeah. I met these amazing people who are, yeah, I'm still really close and really good friends with today. Um, and I just managed designers. So I, I would get a brief from a local government, be it Gold Coast City Council or, or another one. I'd go in and scope the brief, and by now I had a project management qualification, so I kind of half knew what I was doing in project management. I'd cost it up, and then I'd allocate the job out to designers to give them hours to do the work. So we could design, we could line mark a road, or you could do a roundabout, or you could build a library or a building. It could be anything. So it was in a government? No, it's a private company. Oh, private. Oh, right. So we just had this room, big open plan office of designers doing designing stuff. And did you, sorry, did you have your master's at this time or you're still studying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I finished it, it. yeah. Okay, yeah, right. Um, And so, yeah, I'd I'd have like 24 projects. And Mm. like I said, a project could be 100 metres of line marking or it could be designing a roundabout or a road or it could be designing a library or, you know, we did the All Abilities Playground at Karawa. We did all sorts of things. So it was hugely interesting because I was now interacting with like designers, architects and engineers and yeah. landscape architects, all of which have very different personalities. Um, and all I had to do was bring a project to completion, so construction drawings, on time under budget. So I just did that all the time and just rolled through projects all the time. And so I did that for about three years. Um, so right. one thing, like how it seems to me that it's a lot of confidence, like you got to, where do you get that sort of confidence from? Like. I don't know. Like, like I think as a kid, I was a super shy kid. Um, I think definitely that military training brought it out of me because um, as an officer in the military, whether it's reserve or regular, yeah, obviously you've got to get in front of people. You've got to lead and motivate and do all those sorts of things. So I remember being terrified when I was going through my training and I had to, you know, whether it's give orders or be in front of a group or whatever it might be because I was a, still a shy 17-year-old kid. So I think that just kind of helped and evolved. Yeah, I think... Um, what but about also, the other one for me was that I love project management. Yeah. Like, I did my degree and I did horribly in my degree. I failed subjects and whatever and just mm. ended up with a degree but don't look at the marks. <laughs> um, Anything to get by. Exactly. Yeah. But project management, I absolutely loved it. So I remember, like, I'd finish work, drive home, put the kids to bed. I'd have dinner with my wife at the time, put the kids to bed. Um, everyone would go to sleep and I'd start studying at 10 o'clock and I'd do that till whatever, two in the morning and then I'd have a few hours sleep, get up, go to work, but loved everything about it because it was a master's degree. So it wasn't about learn this paragraph and write it in your exam. Yeah. It was like, here's a topic, take it to what you're doing now, apply it and give us a response. Yeah. So I was able to apply it, loved the, the concept of it and what it was doing. 
So when I came into project management, I just loved the process of it. Mm. And maybe it was a bit of the military stuff that was in there because that's... But that's even picking the phone up and making those calls, like uh, it feels like you have to have... You're throwing yourself in the deep end. You you feel like, I don't know. And the hospitality thing, yeah. which I think is a great grounding for that sales. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's like moving schools. You had to make friends all at like I think, new friends. I, I think it's probably more work ethic. Yeah. Right? So I think, I think that that's something that's instilled in you from, you know, your family and so on. But my old man had a great work ethic. You know, I think that's definitely come down to me. And to the point now where I look at it with my kids and, you know, I say to them, your mark is the mark. You know, if you're at school, your mark is your mark. What I want to see is that you are doing the work as best you can. Yeah. So get in there, do the work, and the mark will be the mark. Mm. But if you're getting a D and you're not doing the work, then we're going to have some conversations. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're doing all the work and applying yourself and doing your best and it ends up a B or a C or a whatever, then the mark is, is the mark. It is, yeah. Yeah. But it's all about the work ethic. Mm. And I think that's, that's you know, obviously whether I'm right or wrong, that's the way I like to Whatever apply Whatever you're doing, you're doing me, it. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, I think that's probably what served me well throughout what I've done is that I've always had a very strong work ethic. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, and I'm not a martyr, but I just get in and get it done yeah. and mm. work hard no and the results come. Yeah. And yeah. surprise, surprise, <laughs> all of a sudden we've done well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because we put the work in. Yeah. So then consultancy to what next? Yeah, so Stockland. So yeah, right. um, saw an ad in the paper... I was in this. I was in the consultancy. Does which project was, management pay well? Like, is that re- yeah, yeah, not bad. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 pretty good. Um, but I always wanted to do property. Like, I just missed mm. like what Dave had taught me during that oh, yeah. internship that I'd had with him. I'd learnt so much, and I loved it. Yeah. It's a thrill, right? It's yeah, thrill but I want, and it, I wanted yeah. to get back to it, and I built my own house and all of those kinds of things, yeah. you know. And I wanted wanted to get back to it. And there was an ad. In, there was an ad, obviously online or wherever it was, for Stockland for a development manager's role. And I was like, I reckon that's me. So I gave a call to it and um, I can't remember who answered the phone. Maybe Webby, I can't remember now, like one of the senior development yeah. managers at the time. And he's like, mate, sorry, the ad's closed. And I'm like, oh, right. do you reckon you could just grab my resume? Um, I'll shoot it through to you and have a conversation. Confidence. Yeah. And um, and I think it actually might have been through an agency because I think Stockland advertised yeah. through an agency. And then I just hammered. The, the recruiter and was I was this like, "Grow recruitment." I think yeah. so, yeah. And just hammered him like, "I want to get in front of these people." Yeah. Um, and just did everything, and then yeah, went and had a conversation, got hired, and it was that was the kind of start of it, yeah. So, <laughs> ding, uh, we need to be we have dings in our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. give up. All right. And then, I mean, you remember the days? So, um, Susan and I worked together in the Gold Coast region, um, and I remember turning up on my first day of work with Stockland. And I've never worked for a corporation before. I've never worked for a public company. I've never worked for someone with this structure. Mm. Um, and I come in, I've told this story heaps, but I've, I, I come in and we're at Reedy Creek. We're yeah. at the observatory, the subdivision on the Gold Coast. Um, and, uh, and every Monday morning there was a sales meeting. And it was in the boardroom, so big boardroom. Um, Cole Dutton would sit at the end, who was the region manager at the time. Beside, beside him was the sales manager at the time. Um, and then they had all, this, all the um, sales professionals and sales associates around the boardroom. And then sitting behind them against the wall were all the development managers. And so Cole had come in and say his piece. Um, who would have been in sales manager? Damon? Yeah, Damon yeah. Strang was the sales manager at the time. He'd sort of say his piece and off we go into numbers. So this is 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, right. And I remember the, my first day thinking, oh, my Lord, I like... I am just going to be showing up here. Like people are going to see what a fraud I am. Like as soon as Did I, 
yep, I'm like, I am in the wrong spot. This is too much. I I, I can't be here. Because of what? Just the because of how, of it? Yeah, how intense it yeah. was. Everyone was on their numbers. Um, yeah. Everyone was full of confidence. Everyone was super professional. Confidence, yeah. Um, and I remember like sitting there and being freaked out, <laughs> thinking, wow, when I've got to say something, like they're going to say, who's this fraudster? Where'd this guy, where'd this clown come in from? Um, and then, you know, you gradually work into it and you kind of get it. But it, I, that, and I remember when I, even when I left Stockman, I referenced that same day because it stuck out so well about Really? And they were just cool people. And yeah. we just, like, we had an awesome time. Good time. Didn't we? Such a good time. So and great leaders and stuff. So interviewed you for that role, like, internally? I reckon Webby you? did. Um, so, like, to me, I feel like, well, knowing your background now, like, they would have just been like, oh, my God, this guy's got the best experience ever yeah. with, for that sort of role. Like I don't know. I think I was pretty pretty, pretty naive to it all because okay. I still thought I don't really know property. Like because I've done you didn't thing. have a degree? Is that what yeah, you probably. were confident? And you come into Stockland and everyone's got, you know, double degrees in property and commerce <laughs> or whatever else, yeah. you know, and you're like, eh, I got a business degree, I did a master's, but yeah. I'm, I don't know property. So I, was still, I still lacked confidence yeah. in myself. Maybe outwardly I sort of didn't show that, but, yeah, definitely inwardly. Yeah. Was it you that had the stinky tuna every day or something? Or was that... No, I'm probably... What, um, broccoli? Steam yeah, broccoli? used to eat um, um, broccoli and chicken. It's always like, fit, fitness. We had this conversation with some of the Stockland people the other day because I ate a whole chicken one day. Oh, um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that was probably... Chicken broccoli. Oh, I ate it, I ate it. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, just the group. I mean, that, that group, early days of Stockland was next level, wasn't Can't it? Can't replace yeah, that. Yeah, you just... Were and, they and it's never been the same. Similar age to you and like experience wise and stuff like that. Yeah, real mix. So you had you know sales professionals who led the sales mm-hmm. um, floor. You had sales associates, which was a sales professional in training. You had the development team, so you had development managers, assistant development managers, maybe back then I can't remember. You had senior development managers. Yeah, right. Um, Huge. Yeah, so all uh, under one roof, you guys. Yeah, like and then you had your region manager, yeah, which was right. Cole, and then you had then you, then you know in, out of Brisbane was all the state led group. So. And then yeah. we had our own regional marketing team, yeah. which was Sue's and others. Um, and then you had the state marketing team in Brisbane. Um, and yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Mm. And yeah. how did you feel the difference between like a corporate to your first job? Or yeah, first I, job I, think, I think that was like to that point before is I had this expectation that I'd have someone sitting on my shoulder and saying, no, you can't mm. do that. We want you to do this. And you were just going to be doing yeah. you know, admin and process. Whereas in actual fact, you were given a great degree of freedom to yeah. do what you wanted, as long as you did it correctly. And we had an amazing boss, and like Shep, who was my my yeah. direct report, um, sorry, who I was reporting to, was awesome as a, as an SDM. You know, we used to obviously speak regularly, and I used to let him know what we were doing. We had Cole, who was a, a fantastic leader. I remember talking to Shep once, and I don't know if I've told Cole this story, but I remember talking to Shep after about six months, and I'm like, Hey, mate does Cole like really hate me? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I said, mate, he hasn't said a word to me in six months. And he said, mate, if he's not saying anything to you, you are doing incredibly well. <laughs> um, I mean, he would talk to me. I'm not, not, saying, not saying the Cole that you speak Yeah, Yeah, oh, yeah, the same Cole. So Cole done. He'd yeah. talk to you, but, you know, you, you sort of, you know, you're, you're waiting on some kind of feedback. Yeah. Mm. And he would, he'd give you feedback if you needed it. But if he didn't, off you go. He'd just let yeah, you right. go, which was amazing. He's such a, such a great guy. You're right. Like, that, that time, um, we were able to come up with ideas and execute them and yeah. no one really, really, like, you could tell your boss. But that is how you learn. Like, I, some of the marketing ideas that I'd created were like I think back now and I cringe at how bad yeah. they were but when they failed like that's how you learn and yeah. the, the failure wasn't you know exponentially a lot of money waste but it 
allowed you to then refine. Time, yeah. You always look back on it and it's yeah. always... No, you know, it wasn't it good at the evolves time. And, and I remember my boss at the time going, what were you thinking? I'm like, I don't know. But, times, but times were tough as well, right? So, <laughs> like, sales were hard to come by. Yeah, and, car and washes. So we were trying everything. <laughs> and then right. we did these community events to try and bring the community back on. So I was running trivia nights. Like, yeah. I was hosting trivia nights to try and bring this sense of community back. Yeah. And then we did we did this, like, big event where we had... James Blundell, yeah, a big country, country event, which had like it was a success, awesome. and then we kind of we turned the tide, and I think yeah. we sort of we started to get there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it was good. And then what? And then yeah, stuck with Stockland for five years. So ended up looking after a number of subdivisions. So from northern New South Wales through the Gold Coast up to Ormo. Um, yeah, had had some people come in to assist me, the likes of Jules, who yeah. you know very well. Um, and so Jules and I worked together on projects. Um, and then I kind of. Um, become a bit disgruntled, not disgruntled, disillusioned maybe. Um, the the, the, the organisation at the time was, there was a lot of blockages for promotion. So I, I, I had divorced um, during that sort of mm-hmm. period when I was at Stockland. I was then un- unable to move or travel and, and I know the business right, really um, took kindly to people who would relocate to other positions in other states and I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the senior roles, regional level, like S- so senior development manager, regional manager, state manager roles were very um, tightly held and so there was I didn't really see a great career path. Um, and whilst I loved doing the um, like redesign, we used to call it optimisation of subdivision staff, the idea of just rolling into... Um, you know, plan More a stage, deliver a stage, sell a stage was going to drive me mental. Mm. That, that, I just can't do that monoton- monotony. Mm. And you had a team by then, right? So yeah, we was, had a few people around. Did you like having a team? I did. Like, you know, it wasn't big, but we had a couple of people and they were super bright, you know, um, you know like Johnny Lawson, just child prodigy. Bloody hell. Um, I just let him do what he did because he was just incredible. <laughs> is all right? Is that, um, yeah, mate. Yeah, absolutely. You go for it, Johnny. <laughs> you do your thing, uh, which is like probably another lesson I learnt later on. But um, yeah, like... Um, yeah, it was just, it was just, um, it was great fun, but just yeah, the monotony of going into delivering property or product, I should say, was just not that appealing mm. to me. And then I got a call from a mutual friend um, from Heidi who said, um, "Oh, it's a Heidi!" Yeah, so Heidi gave me a call and said, um, "Dave Cummins, the the owner of GJ Gardner Gold Coast, is looking for a general manager. Have you ever thought about construction?" And I said, "No, nope, never." Um, I'm not a tradesman, I'm not a builder, but hey, oh, let's go have a coffee. So I went and had a coffee with Dave and his wife, Trish, and he was looking for a general manager to run his business. He was doing probably about 50 homes a year and wanted to grow his business, but he he was tired. He'd, he'd built that up from scratch and, you know, it, it's a challenging a business construction. And this was 2000, what year was this roughly? 2015? Uh, yeah, pr- probably, yeah, yeah 2015. Yeah, yeah, it would have been, yeah. Um, you know, I had a couple of combos with Dave. Um, thought I knew what being the GM of a building business mm. would be. I did not. <laughs> um, so I said, "Yeah, let's give it a go." And I mean, Dave and Trish were just so good to me. You know, so Dave, Dave, Dave calls me one day and he goes, "Mate, I need to know if you want to take this role." Um, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, no problems." And he said, "Look, look, can you give me a decision today?" I said, "Yeah, no problems. Yeah, I'm happy, happy to. Let's, you know, send me through the the, um, the agreement. We'll sign it up." And the next day he calls me and he said, do you know why I wanted you to, to give me a decision yesterday? And I said, no. And he says, GJ Gardner hold an inter- international conference every year in April um, where they bring together all of the businesses from Australia, New Zealand and the US. And in four weeks' time, that conference is happening in Fiji and you are coming to <gasps> Fiji for your Whoa. first day of work. So I went to Fiji oh, with, with 
um, with Mel, my wife, my current wife, um, and we um, we weren't staying at the Intercontinental, which is where the, the conference was being held because we were very late to, to, for mm. Dave and Trish to get us booking. We were staying right beside of the smaller it's resort. It's kind of cool too. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. But so the international conferences are all, all always the same. There's always a welcome event. There's things during the day to do with business. But socially, there's a welcome event. There's a fancy dress party. There's a day oh, off. You'd be all up for the fancy And then there's dress annual party. awards. They're always the same. So, yeah. So well, I, We can go to Fiji. Yeah. Let's just go. Yeah. yeah. So I, I remember the first, so the first night was the welcome event. So we'd flown in. We'd you know, throw our stuff in our room. And we walked along the beach around to, to where this welcome event was being held. And I remember walking up and there was, say, 400 people. But mm. there was 400 people of mums, dads and kids running everywhere. Oh, and coming from an organisation where we, we were never allowed to bring partners to events, it was always just employees, seeing this family-orientated business, was that was a real slap in the face for me about, wow, like this, this, this group of people... And the way that the way they bring families together is pretty is pretty. Because they're amazing. families, right? They're that's right. Franchise. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all franchises, and so and that, and that's the ethics of the group. So largely within the group, even within a business, they treat everyone within their business as family because you've got historically you'd have dad the builder, mum does books, mm-hmm. an admin, and they grow this group around them. But all of the staff members become part of that individual family or of that individual mm-hmm. business. And that's yeah, right. the beauty of these of the franchise method of building is you've got these little family groups and you've got this massive social aspect. So, you know, even now we you know our, our New South Wales guys, you know, we, we we hold a number of social events during <laughs> the year and they just, you know, they they all just are so they get on so well together. And from their perspective that's the beauty of coming into a franchise because previously, you know, it was mum and dad doing five homes a year. Then they come into this network that provides them the support to grow their business from five homes a year to 100 homes a year or whatever their, you know, whatever mm. their business can deliver. But they have it with the support not only of a head office group like we've got, but also with a, a network of people that they can talk to about the frustrations and challenges and opportunities and there's guys that have been there 10 years mm. and they, what did you got? You know, they can ask them, what did you do? In a safe space, yeah. And, they, and, they're, and they're all great people, so they enjoy spending time with each other. So, so yeah, you cool. were general manager of a, re- a region? Gold Coast. Gold Coast, okay. Yeah, so, so a franchise area is determined usually by local government area boundaries. Mm-hmm. So we actually had two businesses, Gold okay. Coast North and Gold Coast South. Yeah. So we went up to the south side of Brisbane and down to the down to the Tweed border. Okay. Where then it, it, and so then, Dave owned both of those? Correct. We used to run it as one. We used okay. to just to call it Gold Coast okay. North. So um, first day in the job... Like yeah. what do you, you don't have to talk about specifics, yeah. but, you know, did you have a plan? I'm, I'm assuming knowing you, you probably had a, plan, a bit of a plan going in, but yeah. like what did you, how did you come up with that plan and yeah. what was your goal? So probably the biggest eye-opener for me was thinking I knew what the gem of building business was, which was, it was so far from that. Um, but um, when I walk, walked into the business on, on day one, um, Dave had this this office um, obviously in his, in his building um, and we sort of walk in, say g'day, you know, it's the Monday morning, go around, meet everyone. And Dave goes, oh, you know, jump in here, this is your office. And I said, no, no it's your office. And he said, not anymore, you're running this place, this is your <laughs> office. And he stepped completely outside of his business, let me run his business. Cause that, and that was part of the conversation we had, was that if I was going to come into your business and we're going to run it, absolutely we'll do it together, it's your mm. business. But I need to have the autonomy to mm. be able to shape and Take change things. Now, I'll yeah. come to you and tell you about that before we do it so we can agree, but I need to be autonomous. Because if I was to, if I was to go into run someone's business and just be told what we're going to do, yeah. well, I'm, it's kind of not as appealing to me. No. So I made a fairly firm decision to do not much for ninety days. When I say not much, I did work, but no, not much change. Change. 
Yeah. And so the first step was just see what everyone does. So I just um, sat down with every staff member individually and said, like, what do you do? So day to day, week to week, month to month, tell me exactly what you do. And I just, I'm, you've probably seen this, but I, I've got, I carry notebooks everywhere. I've got one here. Gareth and was I the fill, same. I yeah. fill notebooks all the time. And I'm just writing down all and my I, notes. And I see some similarities between I know. Simon and Gareth. Yeah. Like <laughs> <some heavy laughs> similarities. Um, yeah. So I did that. I called customers. Like, tell me about your experience. Um, what did you enjoy about? Um, you GJ, called them yourself. Yeah, GJ Gunner building your home. C- customers that have started, that are pre-start, during construction and post-construction. What did what you say? I'm the new GM. Yeah, good. Just join. Just join GJ Gunner Gold Coast. You know, you just finished a house with us, or you're in the process of finishing house. Tell me about the experience. Um, and then went out to all the developer partners. So I'd go into land sales offices, introduce myself, um, talk to me about your interactions with GJ Gunner Gold Coast. What do we do well? What do we do poorly? And, and then I sort of um, had a look at the market. What can we do? So if we were to really go hard, you know, from doing 50 homes a year, what goals can we set? And then at the end of 90 days, um, Dave, Trish and I sat down and I said, okay, this is what I think we should do. <laughs> this is what I think we should set as goals and this is where I think we should take the business. And then we sort of agreed on that and then we started to put that into place. Um, and so that, in, that sort of that process then just evolved So what was it? You said that it wasn't what you thought it would be. What was yeah. the main differences or what did you think it was versus? So one, someone once described running a, like being a GM or, or being a build, being a business as, as just in the building business as a thousand moving parts. That is the thing. So um, it's just that there is so much going on. So you, you pivot to, your sales pipeline might be short, so you pivot to, to concentrate on sales. But you've still got to juggle the construction, marketing, finance, staff, you know, balls in the background. Mm. And if you don't, then one of those balls will fall. So, and we still see it today where we'll have a business that'll pivot to sales or the pivot to delivery. And if they're not still maintaining the other aspects mm. of their business, then one of those will fall. Mm. And that's the hardest thing is to, is to continue to juggle with your hands, your feet, your head, your Plus elbows. Plus with the lag of understanding like the different time frames of the delivery you know Correct. and and f- i just don't know how people would forecast you know f- with a lot of these subdivisions that aren't registering for yeah. years yeah in the future you know how do you continually manage that delivery pipeline and keep you yeah. whilst trying to predict what the market's going to do yeah absolutely you know like yeah I don't know. and it's always a, and it's always a forecast and i think probably so we come into the end of the first year so I started in April. We come into the end of the first year. We made some changes and we start, start a bit of a growth pattern. And Dave was David. Always, David had a great business and he had great people, mm. um, and he got it. He got. He was very highly regarded by land developers. Yeah. He got display homes and the beauty of display homes. He got house and land packaging and he had a good fundamental business. But we just wanted to get it bigger. So then we sort of put a plan in place, and every um, and then every year in November, December, I would write a business plan for the following year, and I'd analyze the current year. So everything, pull it apart from financial year. Uh, yeah. calendar, year. calendar year. So GJ's works in a okay. calendar year for numbers. Okay. So I used to do the same. So we'd, we'd do that. We'd pull apart whatever the year was and I'd just sit there and go, okay, so what happened with leads, sales, labs, you know, customer, marketing, financial, everything? Mm-hmm. What do we do well? What do we need to change? And then I'd set a forecast for the next year. Okay, so this is what we're going to do and change and this is what our forecast is going to be, whether it's on sales or slabs or, or customer or display homes or strategy or whatever it might be including the budget, and then we'd go and sit down, Dave, Trish and I, usually off-site somewhere, and we'd just pull it apart and we'd just go, okay, this is our plan for next year. And then we'd come in at the start of the, the new year, staff would come back, we'd settle in, and then we'd take the staff off-site and say, okay, this is what we're going to do this year. 
and we'd, we'd simplify it a little bit. This is our sales number, this is our slab number, and these are our other focuses, mm-hmm. so customer focus, marketing focus, whatever it might be. And that would set our plan for the year. Wouldn't always achieve it, but we, we went forward saying we have a plan a method, and we've got yeah. a well-thought-out plan and jump on because this is what we're going to do. Mm. And then I'd grab all the trades together and we'd do, a, um, we'd do a toolbox talk and I'd say, hey, guys, this year this is what we're going to do and I need you to be on board and these are going to be our focuses, whether it's on – so we're now talking about delivery and we, you know, this is going to be our focus on whatever the delivery focus was and, uh, and we'd speak to them about quality and we'd speak to them about volume so that they could see that this year, okay – like this, this organisation is going somewhere, it has volume mm-hmm. and they'll get my loyalty. And then Dave was always great with his trades, paid on time, you know, great relationships. So we had very, very loyal trades and loyal staff. And, yeah, and so we managed to grow that business from we're doing sort of 50, 60 sales a year to 130 sales a year and we grew nice. it from 50 slabs a year to 100 great. slabs a year and we maintained that for a period of time through a variety of cycles. And what time, in what time frame? Within 18 months we had it 130 yeah, sales. Right. Yeah, wow. probably less, yeah. That's yeah, crazy. just casually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that, but but you know, and even now, some of our groups sort of say, "Oh, what did you do to take it to 130 sales?" And it was just bloody hard work. Like, really, mm. there's nothing else across everything. It was a cohesive approach. Correct. It sounds yeah, it. and everyone was on board, yeah. and everyone was driven, and everyone was going for the same goal, and yeah. we worked bloody hard. Mm. And that's the only way it's going to work is when you guys are all really delved into it, and you're actually. You know, when yeah. you actually love what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff, like, oh. Absolutely. And stuff goes wrong. Like yeah. it's construction, right? So we're not building a house in a factory and it rolls out the end and it's perfect. You know, we've got people touching that thing all during the sales process, the approvals process, the construct- the pre-construction, the construction process, mm. and even afterwards through a maintenance phase and through the warranties period. Like everyone's touching that thing. So it, it doesn't go well. Like it always goes, It almost always something mm. will go wrong. But you've got to try and manage that as well. And when you're building 45 homes at a time, which is what we were doing, and we got up to 20 staff in that office and we had everything un- under the go, oh, it was, it was I remember lots going on. You, I can't remember what conversation it was, but um, did you instigate a customer survey thing? Was there was there a customer survey thing, okay. yeah, already. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we did, we did a lot of customer-focused stuff. Um, you know, I think... And that was, you know, the end of the first 90 days when I spoke to Dave and Trish and then we come back to the staff. Um, like the, my message was, um, if we get to the end of this process, if we, if we find a customer, we sell to a customer, we build a customer's house and we hand them the keys, no one should be going around and high-fiving each other because contractually that's what we're supposed to do. Because mm. this person signed a contract for X amount of dollars to build the next style of house to be delivered in X time frame. So don't go around and high-five yourself <laughs> thinking you've done a great job. You have. We've developed a, d- d- delivered a house. But if we get to the end of that process and the customer is saying that was the most amazing thing I've ever been involved in, I thought it was going to be a disaster, you know, I hear, hear all these horror stories about building and you guys are the best and I'm going to tell everyone about it, then, yeah, absolutely, let's high-five mm. each other. Because, like, and, and probably less so now because it's evolved a bit, but even seven years ago, builders treated customers horribly. Mm. It was, you know, thanks to the contract, I'll see you in 26 weeks where we give you the keys and don't talk to me during that phase, whereas... It has to be collaborative because this is their dream home mm. and the process has to be collaborative. And I think we've got to message the customer the same, that, yeah, we might have some problems because things happen and it might be weather, it might be supply, it might be trade, it might be whatever. But collectively, we both want the same thing. You so want a great happened? house and we want to give you a great house. Like that's why we're in this business. Is yeah. Because there is nothing better about than going to a handover and watching someone get keys to their house and looking at their face about... Like mm. what 
what they've got. Yeah. yeah. That is without a doubt the reason why most builders will build a house. Yeah. Because that is that feeling or that look or the tears or the celebration or whatever it is is the sole reason people yeah. build, you know, the builders are around. They don't build home. I mean, there's a financial goal, mm. but they don't. You know, that that's what really you know, makes their hearts. Yeah, sing. you don't hear that part of it much. I mean, like you see all the pictures, but you don't. Yeah, yeah I don't true. connect the two that you know builders would like that just as much as the rest. Yeah, of absolutely, them. absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, and they get very excited by it. They get very excited by products. You know, so why do builders build change from being? non-customer focused to customer focused. So I think I think there's there's probably this is my opinion, mm. but there's companies there that are completely financially focused. So mm. they have now developed homes that are mo- the most efficient for them and they roll them out and you come into our office and I will sell you a whatever Widget. design yeah. Yeah. and we'll build it and we'll see you in 26 weeks and without you interrupting us, we'll do it in 26 weeks and it'll deliver us X amount of dollars. Mm. Our business is very different. So GJ Gardner has a series of home designs which you can jump on the website and have a look at. But ultimately, we're building your house. So it's your house. What do you want? You want to change something? No problems. You want to bring us your design? No problems. You want to take that house and flip it sideways and back to front and upside down? No problems. It's your house. Mm. And that's probably what Mm. our sales guys need or do is work out what it is that you want. So they're thinking about, all right, so in 12 months, two years, five years, what does that house need to be for you? Are you going to have kids? What's your lifestyle look like? You know, what is the design going to be? To make sure that the house, when it gets delivered and that you move into it, is the house that you want. Yeah. It would be much easier for us to, you know, deliver the, the Susan 19 a thousand times. <laughs> yes, and, and can you name a house designer? For sure. <laughs> um, a thousand times to make X amount of dollars and not speak to a customer. That's simple. Mm. But ultimately... It's the customer's house. Yeah. You know, if you're not if you don't if you're not customer focused, then you lose you lose track. And yeah, I think I think we see a lot of that in our industry where um, yeah, we've got to make a financial return, absolutely. But we're also income true at the same time. Yeah, yeah, which makes it tough, right? And yeah. um, I mean, you know, we've done a lot of things. I remember in the Gold Coast days, I mapped the customer emotional journey for our guys and said, um, this is a couple of years in, and said, All right, so this is this is where the customer's emotion goes. You know, it's at the sales perspective, super ecstatic, right? Highlight, pay a deposit, we're gonna build this house, it's gonna be amazing. You know, we've got some plans and some elevations and it's the best thing we've ever done and we're so excited. And then you go through the construction process and things happen quickly and things happen slowly. So when you start a house, you know, you'll you break ground, you put a slab down, you put a frame up, that happens relatively quickly. And then you, you know, sort of go through the enclosed or lock up stage and then progress go, payments. Yep. And then you go through internal fix out and then you get to a stage where we're putting internal linings into a house and it looks like nothing is happening. There's lots happening, but visually there's not big grand changes. It's also the the time where they've got, you know, sixty percent or seventy percent of their claims out and they're also got a mortgage they're paying or mm. rent they're paying and they've got a finish line in sight but they can't kind of can't see it and so we know that the customer's Worried. emotional state gets very tense at mm. this point so in the gold coast i said to the guys all right so at that point when we get to around fix out we'll, we'll surprise and delight so we'll throw letters out during the during construction because communication is everything and it doesn't matter if we tell people something we've got to tell them a thousand times because it's there's lots going on so we're, we're going to send out a sweat letters all during the build. And then when we get to fix out, no one's going to know about it, but they're going to get a surprise and delight. They're going to get a thing. And then and that thing would might be movie tickets, gold class movie tickets, whatever it might be. And it's a letter that says, hey, we know that building is stressful and we know that time, you know. We know that it doesn't look like we're doing anything, yeah, but we are. Yeah, and we know, we know that, you know, we know that things, that things are, you know, are tough. Mm. But the end, the end is almost inside. Go and relax, you know, go and take a night out, go for dinner, go to the movies, get a massage, whatever it might be. 
That's cool. in the idea that we'd offset some of the stress that was occurring around that time. It's amazing how those little things make such a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And Stockland yeah. used to do it really well. Yeah. You know, Stockland did it a variety of different ways and that was probably where that thinking came from is analyse where the pain is from a customer perspective and let's look at look at how we can maybe mm. smooth that out. You um, can see how though if you're a building company and you you weren't didn't have the foresight that obviously Dave did where you are more operationally based and profit based and cookie cutter yeah. to try and then shift to a customer centric model yeah. would be extraordinarily well, hard. You, you, you imagine, and, I, and I'll just use the Gold Coast example. So we had 45 homes under construction at any one point in time. Yeah. And we had four supervisors and then however many hundreds of trades. Now, every one of those 45 homes, regardless if it was the same design, was never the same. Mm. So we could be building the same type of home, but there would be different things in there. And not not just colours, but the kitchen would be different, obviously. The colours would be different. The tapware would be different. In some instances, the tapware and the basins and the bowls are different in every bathroom. So, so, you know, obviously, to simplify that, yeah, we can do the Susan 19 and we can have exactly the same taps, bowls, basins, colours in every room because that's simple. Mm. But is it what you want as the customer? No, you don't. You want it to be tailored and nice to yourself. And to the point where... Now, we even developed a suite of, of upgrades and we had, you know, we had some basins that we knew weren't nice. Um, when I say not nice, you know, they, were, they were good quality, mm. but appealing they weren't great. But in some instances, some people can only afford to upgrade a basin mm. and you want to give people the opportunity to personalise and tailor their yeah. home. And that, that makes them feel good. Yeah. They come into the showroom and they're like, oh, I want to do some upgrades. I'll upgrade those basins. And that makes them feel good. It makes yeah. them, and it lets them know that their house in that street They've is unlike anyone else's. Yeah. Whereas... In some instances, you can go on a street and the homes are the same. Mm. Maybe a different facade and some different colours, but the homes yeah. are exactly. And you would have yeah. walked into homes that are exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, do, we do do some of that, but yeah. How long were you on the coast? In the Five years. Five I did years. that for. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Dave got sick. Um, so he got myeloma, multiple myeloma. Wow. So he went into treatment for quite some time. Um, he's still doing okay, okay. Um, but we made the decision that he was he was going to sell the business. So All right. we split the business into two and sold it off. Um, so we sold the business to, to one entity for Gold Coast North right. and another entity okay. for Gold Coast South. And, um, I, and I said to Dave, you, you let me know what you want to do or hang around and I'll go through this process and we'll do the onboarding yeah. of the people. Um, and it was kind of like October and um, Dave comes in the office and he's like, hey, you want to finish up? And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, we're pretty done? And he's like, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, <gasps> I'll finish up. Um, and, it, like, very amicable. Like, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're great friends. I, I, I love the, the Dave and to death. Um, and I said, yeah, no worries. And, uh, and I was like, oh, hang on. I've pretty much just made myself redundant. Uh, what am I going to do now? Um, so I just threw out, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to I do. I know, I remember this. I was this. really unsure what I wanted to do. Like, construction is hard, and I was very stressed. Tired. And I was really stressed, and emotionally I was pretty drained. And I was like, well, do I want to go back in and do this or do I want to do something different or do I want to do something completely different? Because, you know, as a GM, I could go and I could manage. It doesn't matter what it is. You could mm. go in and manage a business. I don't, it doesn't, you sell widgets, you do whatever. I could go and I, I feel comfortable going to, to run any business. So I was like, oh, what do I do? So I threw this, this sort of post out on LinkedIn, which was kind of like, it was, I'm looking for work, but I'm not looking for work. So it was pretty much, I can't remember what I said now, but something along the lines of, you know, finishing up with, with DJ going to Gold Coast, you know, just looking for the next opportunity kind of thing. I had some discussions with, so in the, in the franchise model, um, you've got a, a franchisor which looks after Australia and New Zealand and underneath the franchisor you've got master franchisees. So they look after various states. 
So my current role is the New South Wales ACT and WA master franchisor. And then there's a South Australian one, there's a Queensland one, there's you know, Victoria, Tasmania. Um, I had some conversations with the Queensland master franchisor about um, coming into his office and sort of doing an operation role. Master franchisor. Master franchisor. It's like Skeletor. <laughs> um, and then um, Matt Hope, who's the master franchisee for New South Wales ACT and WA, gives me a call. And he's like, mate, I'm, I never go on LinkedIn. He said, I've just opened LinkedIn. <gasps> and he said, I've seen, I've seen your post. Um, I'm just in Byron Bay with our franchisees at our Christmas party. I'm driving back to the sunny coast. Do you want to catch up for coffee? And I said, yeah, no problems. So I drove down the road and we had a coffee with um, him and Jess. And he sort of said, oh, I'm looking for a general manager. Um, you know, is that something you might be interested in? I said, oh, yeah, I think so. Um, just, just one of those 2020, things. 2020, what year? 2019? So I've been in this role since December 19. So this 19. is November 19. Um, and I said to him, Matt, like a couple of things I need to, I need to be clear on. Um, I don't work well with someone sitting over the top of me. I need some autonomy. And Matt was like, hey, you, you obviously don't know me very well. You will have complete autonomy. <laughs> and that's how Matt is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and sort of I, I, was, I was interested in working in different states because I would only ever know in Queensland. Mm. And this is an opportunity to do New South Wales and ACT. Because your kids are a bit older. And kids are older. I was born ones. in WA. Mum yeah. and dad are in WA. Yeah. My brother's in WA. Kind of know a bit about that market. Think about that, yeah. So I was like, yeah, no problems. Let's do this. So I... Um, I started with him just before Christmas in 2019. Um, and Matt's, Matt loves franchising. So um, he's the master franchisee for GJ's. He's also the master franchisee for Gold's Gyms Australia and New Zealand. Oh, and he has a cafe business, which, which is a franchised cafe business called Raw Energy Cafes. And he's got other business interests as well. So he, oh. loves, he loves franchising. His, his, his statement is, is that uh, we become successful by making others successful. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the philosophy of, mm. of all of that parent company of businesses. See, I came into that role, which was um, which is cool because I get to do... Uh, so that was GM, was it then? Yeah, correct. It? Yeah. Correct, GM. So I get to do things um, within the business that I know because I've done it and yes. I've done it with one of the largest... Well, we took it to be one of the largest businesses mm. in the country. Um, I've seen most of the challenges over that five-year period. Although, and, and I'm not a builder, I'm not a tradesman, but we, I can run a business and quite successfully. And then I was able to pivot and maybe help the New South Wales guys... ACTWA guys do that. So you were doing what you did on the coast, but for New South Wales? ACTWA, but not at an operational level. Okay. So I've got 32, 33 franchises, yep. offices that sit under that network, and we essentially coach them through various okay. things. Okay. Oh, that's cool. And so, how does that differ to what you're doing now? Or is it just that, that, that is what that I'm doing is what, now. So that's exactly okay. what I'm doing now. But I'm not, I'm not in there building houses. No. These guys do that. I look at like I look at everything from a state level. Okay. So how do we get more business in, businesses into our network? Yeah. More franchisees. How do we get our guys performing better? More sales, more slabs, and then essentially, I see my role as looking forward because in construction you're very caught in the mud. Like day to day, it, it is a grind, and you're day to day, and you can't really see much more than outside of your next three month forecast. So I, I kind of see my role more as, all right, what's happening next year and the year after? What have we got to do to pivot our business because they're slow to pivot to be able to, to um, address what the challenges might be that come? And then along the way, we jump into an office and I'm like, we've got to, you know, there's some things we can improve, uh, whether that's a you know, lead, sales, slabs, customer, efficiency, process type thing, and then we can tweak it and make those businesses mm -hmm. better. Um, and that's kind of the process. And so, yeah, that's what we've done. So 19 and then 2020. Oh, man. So I, so I, <laughs> I start this. I like starting with celebrations, right? So 
I started with Dave by going to Fiji. I started with Matt by going to his Christmas party. So that's all I did pretty much before um, that we were on a Christmas break because the beauty of construction is you shut down for two weeks over Christmas and your phone doesn't ring yeah, because all of construction God. stops. So I go to this Christmas party and I come back in in January 2020 and the office is at the Sunshine Coast, even though we look after those states. So I come into the office in the Sunshine Coast and I'm like, right, I'm going to ring around all of the franchisees and just see how they're doing. Well, Batemans Bay, Yurubadella show, I was on fire. So there was right. a massive bushfires, bushfires oh, through yeah. southern New South Wales. So those offices were literally on fire. So we yeah. had um, you know, frames, <gasps> homes, everything kind of un- on fire. So I start there. How are you guys doing? What do you need? Whatever. And then I kind of work my way up the coast because we were everywhere in New South Wales, as you can imagine, 30 odd offices everywhere from Greater Sydney out to you know, Dubbo and Wagga and Albury and all the way down to Batemans Bay mm. and Sapphire Coast. So I'm kind of making my way up and uh, it's just, it's so literally... So what are the types of things you would help them with? Just oh, at, the t- at the time, it's like, what, what, what do you need? Yeah. But it's largely, you guys do you, yeah. but you let us know what you need if from you need a legal anything. perspective yeah. or whatever. But you let them do their thing. Because yeah. we don't run their businesses. No. And, and they're, these are all savvy business yeah. So largely, you just make sure that they're okay. Yeah. And what do you need from us? We're here in support, mm-hmm. but you do, you do whatever you do mm-hmm. operationally. So I remember doing this and there was stuff on fire everywhere. And I just drove through this area. So this is 20, January 2020. I drove through this area about four weeks ago and it is still devastating. Yeah. Just, really? Just, just blackened trees for miles and miles and miles. Anyway, so I come back up and I'm, you know, I, call, I call everyone. I remember calling um, the guys in Dubbo. And I'm like, oh, how are you guys going? And they're like, horrific dust storm, Simon. Like, it is horrific. Uh, and I was having like all this issue with dust. And I said, oh, will you be able to you know, wash your car off on the weekend? He goes, mate, we've been in drought for three years. We don't have water. And then I just like literally went through all of these issues that kind of were happening around that time. And then February, we have a franchise meeting. So I'm meeting our franchisees for the first time. And there's this conversation happening about COVID and what's happening with COVID. And then three weeks later, we were pulling our franchisees together saying, we've got some issues. And this is what we're going to do. Right. So what was the... So cool way to start a job, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Straight into crisis. Right, when you, yeah, right when you want to get into something a bit easier. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Take your time, ease into it. think of a better person, really, yeah. to manage that. So what was, the, what was the main concerns to the business? So, so the first concern was... And the, the beauty of the franchise network is, um, and more so now, but even back then, is I can jump on a Zoom call and I can speak to 30 business owners and we can change today. Because those business owners, if they agree, will pivot straight away. Yeah. Whereas perhaps if you're a larger corporate, that's a very yeah. hardship to turn. So yeah. the beauty of the beauty of the business is the, is its agility. So the first one was everyone under a Zoom call, COVID is real. So that was the first message because we got people spread from Greater Sydney CBD all the way out to the regional areas, and there was a little bit of no, you don't, it doesn't happen out here. You yeah. know, that, that's a city thing doesn't happen out here but we at the time were probably 70% regional that's where our, that's where our numbers were coming from mm. so it's like yeah it's real and then oh, we wanted to hit home the um, the potential of it so I said to the guys we're gonna do so we did up some modeling and I went out to the guys and I said I need you to do two things the next couple of days is do your financial forecast here's the model you need to put it into and disregard anyone who is not contracted. So anyone who has deposited, you're talking to, um, assume they will not progress. Second one is put in all your contracts, and then on the second tab, wash out 40% of your contracts and assume they're not gonna work. 
And then let's have a look at how you're sitting from a from an overhead perspective yeah. based on that cash flow forecast. Mm. And that that was when people really sat. And was up. that something that you came up with? Like yeah. So myself and yeah. Matt had a had a conversation about yeah. about that. Like, what is the impact? And there was no of this? industry discussion. There was at that nothing happening. Well, when I say there's nothing happening, it was happening around the world. So we had two th- two trains of thought. The UK and New Zealand were doing things differently, and we we weren't sure what construction was going to do in Australia. So they might follow the New Zealand model, which was shut it down. So every construction site yeah. shut down overnight. So that was that was the worst case scenario, is that all of our business will shut down. So that was the message to the guys, is from a forecasting perspective, show us what's going to happen mm. if you wash out most of your income and where does that sit against your overheads and make changes today. So, and what did that look like? So when they did all that, was that like, Code red bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that was about the worst, okay. and that and that you know that was confronting. We had people in tears. You know, we had this is their business, this is their family. So they this made is their those decisions based on that worst case scenario. They started looking at what okay. what the scenario was. Yeah, not necessarily making decisions that day, but all right, this is what we need to do. Yeah, um, it's real. It's going to have a significant impact, and let's look at the worst case scenario. Okay. Hope for the best. Mm. And then we found out that yet yeah, we're going to continue construction. Um, that construction was needed. Um, and so the next, the next thing was, and this is obviously over the course of a period, mm. the next thing was... But not a long period. Not a long period, but the next <laughs> thing was, you know, we had this, these comments about, all right, we need to get sales. We're going to drop our margin. We're going we're to make sales. And we said, absolutely not. You maintain your markup. You cannot adjust your markup, which comes through our system. They do it individually, mm-hmm. but you cannot. We'll continue to make sales, but do not adjust your markup, which for us was obviously a, one, of the, one of the great decisions we yeah. made. But um, why did you think that? Because you didn't have any inkling that there would be supply issues. No, no. no well, no one really did, yeah. and we did. When, like this is so June four, like literally June four, the phone starts ringing. So home builder gets announced in yeah. New South Wales. It, it starts ringing. So in, from, in WA, from February to June, it was like man stations. Yeah, let, pro- let, let's let's do things. Changes. We'll make some changes. We didn't we'll know get about prepared. home builder. Like it was. An, we didn't know. It was an immediate thing. Exactly. So so we were still thinking that you know, that Doom. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Then we were saying that we think they're going to stimulate demand. Yeah. We're not sure how they're going to stimulate demand. Yeah. So let's just have a look at it. But absolutely don't jeopardise yourself financially. Now in WA, they had home builder, but they also had building boost. So home builder came out. Building boost came out, which is the WA government saying you can have another 10 grand, I think it was at the time. Um, on signed contracts before a period of time. Then first home buyer. WA had come out of a seven-year winter. So for, for the previous seven years, it was hard. it was so hard. So mining was, you can almost map WA off mining expenditure yeah. from a property perspective. Mining was, you know, nothing was happening. Property, nothing was happening. To give you an idea, one of our businesses in WA had himself doing everything and a part-time receptionist running a building business. That was how it was. Wow. June the 4th happens and his phone goes mental. Oh He's like, mate, I need ads. I can't answer the phone. Like it is, it's too much. So he literally was hiring people to, that, that's the kind of the, the effect of what happened. And obviously that happened all over the country. And, and so offices the were able to operate and construction was Correct. I mean, we had, we had instances where we had shutdowns and closures and all that sort of stuff, but Building Boost um, obviously stimulated the demand. Um, and then we had everything else. So majority of the sales that were seen during the country weren't necessarily building boost related. They were all of the other stimulus stimulus and FOMO of, I don't want to miss Super it out. Super out. Got to get it. Got to get it done. Um, so then we just navigated things, you know, then we were just literally, um, and we were all on Zoom, obviously. 
we're largely remotely. We're still recruiting, so we're still we're still selling franchises. Still going. Yeah. We're appointing these guys remotely. So so some of the businesses we started in 2020, we never met in person because it was all done remotely. So there was growth in franchises mm. during people, that. People time. were looking for solutions. Yeah. So if you're a mum and dad builder, you're trying to navigate this yourself. Yeah. So you're going, oh, hang on, I need a hand, and so yeah, you, okay. you, they, they were coming Come to us saying, hey, like. What are you guys doing? And we were kind of a little bit ahead of the curve, mm. which was a challenge. Because we started, we started customer communication, even on price rises, before it was in the news. So were builders cutting, when you said you made a choice not to reduce prices, yep. prior to June, were builders reducing Our guys prices? weren't. But that was, that was, but that was one being... of, so I'm not saying the whole group was saying no. we need to cut prices, but there was a conversation about we need to get as many sales as we can. Yeah, and that um, would have been happening outside of Oh, absolutely. Like, Others were doing that, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, our, our philosophy has always been very strong on that we don't, we don't adjust markup. And if anything, once we started to see the effective stimulus, we were like, you yeah. won't get another opportunity to try and, no. and creep up your markup to make sure you've got That's your cost right. covered. So then who was going, like who in the business, and it might be you, was going, okay, this is now. Yeah. What is it going to look like? In- We're doing that all the time. Yeah. Okay. So, so probably How, as a so group. So what do you look at indicator-wise? Just like, I don't know, we were just kind of analysing everything. And, and you know, we're being fed stuff from the, from the network. So the group, you know, we'd get a call saying, hey, we've heard this, is this true? Um, and the other problem was with COVID, there was so much misinformation. So one of the first things we did, so off the back of that first Zoom call, we were saying, this is real. I grabbed our guys together in the office and said, we are not communi- communicating anything on COVID unless it can be verified and supported by a third party reference. Mm. So if you're going to send an email out, if we're going to alert the group to something that's happening, be it a closure or a, a policy or a procedure that's happening from um, a health perspective, it needs to be referenced by that health directive from the state government. Yeah, Otherwise, okay. it doesn't get spoken about. Because yeah, right. there was lots of people mm-hmm. knee-jerking uh, to comments that were made down the street. And we've got to shut doors. We've got to do this. And you can't do that. We were like, no. Nah, we only reference when we can reference fact. Yeah. So right from the very start, from that very first call, anything we sent out about, you know, we need to do this um, or we need to take uh, a register or use a QR code or a check-in or what have you, had to be verified by a third-party reference. So then, okay, we go through Home Builder, everyone's happy, making money? Yeah, everyone's making sales, yeah, times are, times are good. And then we started to see price increase pretty early on. And that came from where first? Uh, frame and Trust, yeah. Okay. So structural steel, structural steel, Frame and Trust and concrete prices started to really And where do we get most of that from? So frame and trust. Yeah. So yeah. So obviously Australia went mental. The whole world world went mental in construction. That was kind of what happened. Um, we started to see the Australian um, uh, soft timbers that were used in in frame that were coming from New Zealand literally get taken to the US. Right. So we're reading reports of 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 um, you know containers of timbers that we would normally take out of um, New Zealand on their way, and then the US said we'll pay a higher price, and those just got redirected to the US. Jeez. At the same time, back in 19, in 2019, 2020, all of the South Coast timber forests were destroyed by bushfire. So we did, the, local, the, the amount of locally sourced soft timbers was diminishing. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we started to see these price increases. And again, I mean, it's not just us, not just like me or Matt sitting there like analysing this. We're getting feedback from all their own business owners, owners. And they're yeah. smart and savvy and clever people. you don't people. buy as a collective. No. no. We, well, we, we do to you a do? point. Okay. We, yeah, we, and we've worked to be on that. But no, but yeah, individual offices are, are purchasing yeah. from individual people. So we're starting to get this this conversation come up, you know, and, and that's the again the beauty of the network mm. is that savvy businessmen who are smart and talking to people are feeding us and information. And come with as well. different opinions. And so ideas. many different opinions. And yeah. some are good and some are bad and we'll have yeah. a conversation about all of them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
So then was there a decision made to, how was that managed in terms of pricing and communication to customers? Yeah, so we, um, we had a look at um, the forecast of cost versus revenue with most of the offices. So ours is about cash flow forecasting. So you know, we're seeing costs increase, we're seeing overheads increase, we're seeing everything you know, mm-hmm. sort of trick, trickle up and we're, we're not seeing obviously revenues change. So we had, and we're having regular catch-ups on Zoom because we can't travel. Were you so doing fixed price packages at the time? Um, apart from Earthworks and okay. so on, but yeah, but yeah. essentially we sold on price certainty. That was the, that was the, yeah. that was how we sold. So if we talk to you about a price in in deposit stage, mm. and we go through to, to contract, that price will be the same yeah. unless you fundamentally change something apart from Earthworks or you know, unforeseen mm-hmm. site costs. So yeah, so um, so then um, we have a conversation with the group. And we're like, all right, so who have we commenced that we cannot change price on? And who have we not commenced? So work, work your way back. So where are we up to with houses under construction? What have, what's happened to costs and what does that mean from a financial forecast perspective? Who's contracted and yet not yet on site and where are they up to? And we made a decision amongst the group. We had a conversation with the group and said, under the contract, if you don't commence within X amount of most contracts are the same, within X amount of time frame of signing the contract, then you have a right to terminate. So let's invoke that clause. Let's let's have some pretty courageous conversations with our customers and go out to them and say, look, and this is before price increases is in the media. So we're going out saying, hey, um, here's the clause of the contract. Prices have increased significantly. We're not prepared to continue with this contract unless you are prepared to have a discussion on price. Mm. Mm. So we've got we've got business owners calling customers day after day, you know, and we're talking 30, 40, 50 customers saying having this conversation, which heartbreaking, it, yeah. And the customers saying, What are you talking about? Like, we haven't seen any of this because we were slightly ahead of the news. Mm. So we're backing that up with third party statements and pricing indications and so on. And and then um, so there were some pretty tough and, and I didn't have to That's do hard, them. It's, mate, like, yeah, it's yeah. heartbreaking because again, builders just want to do the right thing mm. by the customer. And mm. you know, they had a choice. We can absorb this cost. Okay, you can absorb this cost. But it's going to impact you significantly yeah. financially. And not only do those business owners have the stress of just COVID in general, yeah. you know, the staff stress, you know, the business stress, but then they have to have 50 conversations yeah. to their own cut, you know. Yeah, and, and, and I mean... And that like, wouldn't be a one phone call thing, no, right? That would be no, and it's in person. situation. It's, it's always in person. Yeah. It's not over the phone. So bring them in, have a conversation, show them this documentation. So we'd give them suite, a suite of things and say... This is the evidence. Mm. This is what's happening. Have that have this conversation, and thankfully, yeah, a lot of the customers were were um, accepting. Were accepting, and then also yeah. seen significant um, increases in the price of their land. Which, I mean, that would have helped, which has helped. Right. and not, you know, but but they were they were conversations that were had not um, not lightly, and it was a purely a cost based discussion. So mm. it wasn't in a lot of, a lot of cases it wasn't cost plus margin that was being pass, passed on. It was purely costs, purely costs. Yeah. And then we had to have another conversation with those customers that were thinking they were going to come through on fixed price. And that was the pivot to we early days we went to prime cost. So let's look at the prices that are fluctuating, which was um, timbers, structural steel and concrete. And for big ticket items like frame and truss, that now becomes a prime cost in your contract. So go to your customer and say, I've allowed for $36,000. This is a quote stage. I've allowed for $36,000 in this contract for your frame and truss. When we come to contract, we'll, we'll... Requote that and I'll tell you what it is. And then it'll go into your contract as a prime cost. And when we order that frame and truss, if it's gone up or down, we're going to have to charge oh you for God. it because costs were going up weekly. Mm. Like, And we just had no handle on when it was going to stop. 
so that was that was probably the main changes that we did was was those that are under construction, those that were contracting, and we had to have discussions or change contracts to, and then our whole language to customers had to change because we couldn't talk about fixed price, we couldn't give them thirty days to sit on a quote because prices were changing every seven days. So um, there was that, and then back a house, we're repricing our price books, which is drives our costs every thirty days. Yep. So all of a sudden, our estimators are working doubly hard really trying to keep the costs up to date so that the sales guys at the front end are delivering more, the most accurate yeah. costs. So it was, yeah, it was mental. One was thing, mental. I mean, it feels, I, I forget how hard things are very quickly, probably mm. like most people, but, and I've only had a small team through that, but I found the, not the, probably the most rewarding and the most challenging combined was to continue to lift the morale every day, like not just internally, but yeah. for our clients. Like yeah. we were fielding calls from, I mean, it's not anywhere near the same scale, but, you know, people who were stressed about sales or worried about this yep. or couldn't do this and every phone call was a different problem. Yep. And it was, I always, I remember meeting with our team going, it's our job to lift them up and to be like, it's cool, we'll help out, we'll do, you know, whatever it takes. So imagine doing that for like however many franchises. Yeah. Mm. You know, and, what and, and, learnings or what, you know, what well, did you do in that space? I think there's, there's other things that were going on. So even in my office, my office, our office, there is a team. So I have franchise support and events manager, we have a, a business development manager, we have a marketing team, you know, we've got a variety of people. So during this phase, we're, we're putting these people um, on hold. Mm. So I'm, I'm having conversations with our guys saying, hey, terribly sorry, we're not sure where this is going to have to go, you know, we're going to stand you down. And so I'm having conversations standing our guys down um, while still trying to provide a service back out to yeah. 30 franchisees who in, in turn are standing people down. Um, so we've got, we're under resource because things are happening. Um, I've got our guys who are amazing who said, look, understand. I didn't know, I didn't know these people for five months. And they're like, they were incredible. They're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, we want to see this through. We want to see this prosper. We understand that um, from our perspective, you know, um, we drive revenue off, off contract revenue. We, mm. dri we drive a franchise fee off what the franchisees right. do. So even at our level, we're saying, all right, we're not going to be making money. Yeah, like, okay. What are we going to do? Um, our gyms had shut down, so Matt's other businesses were shut down. Cafes yeah, were shut yeah. down. Um, so, so from Matt's perspective, he's juggling his businesses um, to try and make it all work. Um, so yeah, at the same time, we're having conversations with the group, but we just we just maintained this constant conversation on Zoom just all the time. You know, um, this is what we think's happening, or this is what's happening in the coming months. This is what we're going to do. Everyone, jump on a Zoom call and have a conversation. So that's kind of what we did. Yeah. So looking back at that whole process or that period of time, what would you maybe do differently or what do you think worked the most? Like what got you through, do you think? I, yeah, I don't know if I'd do anything differently. I mean, no, it's, it, no one had been through it before, so everyone was navigating it. I mean, in hindsight, you can go back and say, yeah, absolutely, I would have done things differently yeah. or, or why didn't I know that it was going to be lead yeah. to such a massive increase yeah. in cost? You know, I should have known all that. Um, you could have beat yourself up about you should have been looking at those things. Um, I don't think I'd change too much. I think, I think I've just taken away the things that I think we did well, like communication internally at our level to franchisees up and down and to the customers was one thing we were kind of really pushing for, was always just communicating to everyone what was going on, all Crazy. the way out to customers as well. Yeah. And we're, like we didn't do it well. Like there was, yeah, absolutely. We didn't, we didn't get all of the price rises. We didn't absorb all, you know, we had to, uh, the group had to absorb increases. The group, you know, it has had some impact from that. Um, so crystal balling, what do you what do you think the next kind of year or two looks like? Yeah, I think um, you know definitely, and, and I think 
state by state, region by region, area by area is going to be different. very different. It always is. <laughs> so um, I think definitely there's enough work to take builders through to July 2023, and then it's going to be a whole different market after Reckon. that. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion about um, you know what's required from a, um, a housing perspective, not just for mum and dads, but from a social and affordable housing, like the housing summit, summit. stuff that's round table. Up. Yep. So there's probably a little bit to wash out of that. Um, but we're going to still con continue to have the same challenges that we've had. Like the biggest challenges that we've had is availability to register land and delays through the council or approvals process. And if that doesn't change, then we're going to have the same problem. Mm -hmm. We don't need to stimulate demand. We've, well, we, we know that it works. We've seen it. We can go back to first homeowners grants. You can go back to home builder. You can see what happens. We've got to stimulate supply somehow. Support, we've yeah. got to unlock like land somehow. And I think unless we're stimulating the supply, we're never going to solve the demand problem. Like if you keep throwing money at the demand thing um, that allows you know people to do something cheaper somewhere, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get down to the person who need it, needs it most. We can do that mainly th maybe through the approvals process. Um, I know, it's crazy. We have discussions all the time about, I mean, just even the recent government announcements, you know, what does that even mean? That whole, what is it, five million, I can't remember how many houses by 2024 yeah, or whatever it yeah. is, but, and what is affordable these days? Yeah. I mean, affordable to me used to be people who, you know, either don't have the capacity to buy a home, but now with the prices have gone up so much, that's 60% or yeah. I don't know, more of the population. Like, yeah. I think the whole... It's changed, the, the last couple of years has changed the whole outlook of kind of what yeah. that space looks like. I mean, I think like if I just look at, like selfishly look just at our group, and, and, and if I even just look at New South Wales. So New South Wales will build 25,000 homes a year. We have, or not we, but the state will build 25,000 homes a year, have year in, year out. That jumped up into the 30s during 2021, 2022 off the back of Home Builder. It'll come back into the 25s. We do about... Well, we're, the th we're now the third biggest builder in New South Wales. JJ Gardner is now the third biggest attached builder in New South Wales, which is amazing. Um, but we do such, we've got such low market share of that. Um, you know, our market segment is always um, mums and dads, second and third home buyers that are more resilient anyway. Yeah. So they're not as affected by the interest rate rises, the mm -hmm. seven successive interest rate rises that we've yeah. had. So we'll continue to sell into mums and dads and we'll, we'll continue to grow market share by doing what we do, mm -hmm. um, which is, is proven to be successful to us. So I think, you know, in terms, if I look selfishly at our group, we've got the potential for still, to still continue growth. Yeah. If, if I look at it generally, we've got a whole heap happening. Yep, we've got you know, last two years of sales which have come from somewhere. Some of, some of them have come from the future, yeah. without a doubt. Um, you've got in the vicinity of whatever it is, $153 billion worth of fixed interest rates that expire at the end of last year mm. that were fixed you know, during this yep. stuff that we've had. People on three-year, one-point, whatever percent That's fixed true. interest rates that are expiring at the end of next year. Now, they'll get tipped into whatever rate it is at the time, which is going to cause some financial stress. Um, we've got, you know, we've still got builders that are probably operating um, uh, at a point where their deposits are, are really still prop propping up their cash flow. So yeah. I think we haven't seen the end of that process of, of, um, of builders that are trading insolvent and what's going to happen with them from a financial perspective, which is devastating. No one wants to see that, but that's the reality. We still have price increases going on. We're not seeing prices come down. And realistically won't until the middle mm. to late next year when we've got less demand. Mm. Um, well, probably going to wrap right. up soon. But hey, that's I'll, a pretty that's a that's a pretty upbeat way to finish. Though, I know isn't we're it? not. That's why we're not finishing <laughs> on that. But knowing you, you've always got something on the go. Yeah. We haven't even talked about a whole heap of other things that you do, like triathlons. You're 
Is draw sounds like the wrong word. Artist. Artist. Sketch stuff. Sketch stuff. He'll hate me for mentioning this. Will but do. anyway. Yep. Triathlons. What else do you do? Like venture based stuff. Yeah, so I'm just finishing my certificate for an outdoor leadership. So I just uh, I just gave my practical qualification. Practical well, yeah, I just got my qualification in uh, in as a climbing guide, nab sailing guide, uh, off track navigation and um, mountain bike guide. So I'm just gonna finish that off by the end of the year, hopefully. Uh, so I've got a couple of triathlons to do next year. You've got two daughters that are in around the age where they're choosing what they want to do for their careers. Yeah. I guess from my learnings from you today, I think mm. confidence, perseverance, work ethic, you know, what sort of advice would you give someone who's maybe tinkering around the idea of coming into the industry? And the reason why I love your story is that, um, I mean, you weren't old at all when you got into property, but yeah. it wasn't like 18, no. like uni construction straight yeah. in yeah you know what what advice would you give people probably i mean the one thing that I, I mean the advice that i have given and will continue to give my girls is work out like what makes your heart sing right so what sort of person are you and what makes you happy and then let's have a look at what that might mean from a career perspective that's yeah. going to best suit you your personality and yeah things that bring you joy um like we mentioned before so gracie my eldest um she's a carer um she's known she finished school um last year She's known for some time that she's wanted to work with the disabled or the elderly. That's just it's what she loves. Mm. So, um, you know, she was able to then go and she's studying occupational therapy because that, that's the career that she's interested in mm -hmm. at the moment. I think I'm a prime example that if that's not what she's interested in five years' time, that's fine too. Yeah. You can pick yeah. and do whatever you want. But fundamentally, just find the thing that makes you mm. happy. Mm. Um, you know, and, and then my younger... Is that through trying things? Like, yeah, just exposure to yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, you know, if you, if you, if you want to go... If you think that you want to do, you know, a certain um, uh, career path, then go, yeah, go and try it. And, and I think at schools they do that to a point mm. in work experience type stuff. But just go and get it, like, go and see if you can go and jump in, do a job somewhere. Yeah. Go and talk to someone, you know. Um, my younger one's sort of bouncing around a bit. You know, she's thinking she might take a year off, which is cool. She thinks she might do, a, do something in the Defence Force, which is great if she does. But what one thing she's adamant at, and, and I get kind of caught up, I work from home a week and then I'm away a week, um, and sometimes she'll come home from school and I'll be sitting at the kitchen table, which is where I was when she left, and she'll say, <laughs> have you left that spot today? And I said, not really. And she said to me a couple of months ago, she said, there's one thing that I'm sure I don't want to do, and that is that. And she pointed to it to me and she goes, I do not want to sit beside a desk, sit behind oh, a desk wow. every day. I want to be up and about and doing things, which is cool. All right, yeah, so let's brutal, up and about brutal. Yeah, but it's like, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the her um, her thought about being yeah in a desk environment. Yeah. So mm. then she's she's tossing around. All right, does that mean the military? Does that mean nursing? Does yeah, that mean right. somewhere I'm a bit more up and about, uh, police, whatever it might be? So like, you just got to continually cool. try and adapt and yeah, change. But also, it doesn't mean career for life, as you yeah, know. Like, no. it's mm. just. And it's November at the moment. I don't know when this will come out, yeah. but it's November. As it, I mean, um, I'm, you know, because I like to keep the, the mo all year round. I know. Mm. I just decided I might um, grow the beard out for Amazing. Months, you know. Amazing. See, I, used to have the, I used to have the big beard. I hated beard it. Beard But I thought, ah, I'll make. try and do something. Do it. Yeah, absolutely. You can have, and, I mean, Susie's got a predominantly female workforce. They can, That's they, it. They can sort of chip you Back every day in. about how bad it looks yeah. for the next month. That'd be amazing. So you're always into fitness, yeah. keeping healthy. Yeah. Does that help you? Like, what's Yeah, your... absolutely. So I think, um, you know, our industry, construction, has a horrific uh, track record in terms of mental health. Um, and it's one thing that we've been focused on with our group for quite some time. So, I mean, the network is amazing because they'll speak to each other. We are always ask them to, to communicate. 
um, we've done some work with them on some tools and techniques to stay resilient. Mm -hmm. So I'm fortunate that my brother um, was an ex-Special Forces um, officer, so he was in the SAS for some time. He and his business partner, another SAS guy, um, together with um, with Ben's brother Dan, um, put out a book called The Resilient Shield, which is a methodology to make yourself more resilient. So we've run our guys yeah, awesome. through that process, which is just layers of a resilient shield. So things you've got to work on personally, and it's all the things that you're probably aware of, but yeah, your, your you know, physical fitness, your, yeah. your, your mindfulness meditation type stuff, you know, sleep diet exercise, you know, all those, you know, your social layer, your professional layer, you know, all those layers that you, that you work on to make yourself more resilient to the stresses. So for me, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I do things like, I always have a goal and that's why triathlon's nice because I can have a goal and train towards it. So I'm always staying active. Um, the mindful med mindfulness meditation for me is the drawing thing, mm -hmm. which um, mm -hmm. is is my form of meditation because that throws me into the right brain zone and I can sketch and lose track of time mm -hmm. and detach a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, family and social, you know, is, is really important to me as well as having a professional focus, you know, mm. making sure that you're professionally focused. And how did the team, so the GJ's team went through that? Yeah, they did. Yeah. So they, I got, uh, we got Tim and his business partner, Ben, over there in WA, got them over to run them through their resilience shield program. And mm. we did that for our group as well, our, cool. our master franchise group, which was awesome. The, the group loved it because it's, it's a process that's inter intertwined with stories. And these guys have come back from you know, the likes of Afghanistan with post-traumatic stress. And, and this is how they have physically got through that process. But also it's backed by science from the University of WA that it works. So that's one thing that we do. And we don't always get it right. We've had aspects of suicide within our group mm -hmm. and it's been horrific. Um, but our group still rallies around that. So we, we've had an incident uh, a little earlier on this year where one of our receptionists took her own life. Um, and she left behind two young girls, a little three-year-old and a five-year-old, which yeah. hits you because you've got kids, you know. Um, last Friday, and the, and, and the office that she worked in have set up a trust for those two kids to make sure they're looked after. And last Friday, our Sydney West, West office in Penrith held a charity golf day where they brought together their trades and suppliers and did an auction of things that had been donated. And in one day, they raised $225,000 oh, yeah. in wow. one day in one office with another 70,000 pledged. Um, and we'll do, we're will do we going to do a trek to Kokoda next year. And that'll be, we've got, about, we've got about 20 yeah, odd people coming to that. Uh, and that'll be a fundraiser as well. Yeah, awesome. um, and that'll be for the, for the girls. You don't hear about that. Well, I mean, unless you're in this circle, like you don't hear it. It's, it's hard to talk about. Yeah. But, yeah. So, um, so we, we make a point. I and mean, when we meet the group in person, we have four franchise meetings a year. So three ourselves and one international. At every um, franchise meeting, where we'll have 50-odd franchisees there, there's always a discussion on mental health. Mm. So we've got mates in construction right. coming to talk to the guys um, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it's just about that constant communication. I've just finished travelling through almost every office um, in Regionally, our group. Yeah. yeah. And... Part of the presentation to the team, to back to the staff level, is about mental health. And we use the example of, of what happened with Kaylee, mm. but more so to, to it personalise it a little, a little bit. Um, we've got an on-call psychologist, so anyone in our group can call a psychologist wow. at any point in time. But unfortunately, the take-up is not great. No. Because look no, at the industry and look yeah. at the so, demographic. So we're, we're trying to do things more around keep communicating the group will look out for each other so they'll talk to each other if, if they haven't heard from someone they'll call someone mm -hmm. which is yep. amazing um, we've done the, the preparatory stuff which is uh, if you if you, you know, follow the layers of the resilient shield you will be more resilient probably what we haven't done well enough and one thing that I'm focused on now is if you're at that point where you are under significant stress what do you do what do you do mm. yeah so yeah you can make the call to 
uh, the various agencies, organisations or the psychologist, but we know that doesn't always happen. But there are breathing techniques and there are cope mm-hmm. ways to cope that are, that, are, that are fundamental. And I think that's really our focus now is to roll that out because the industry yeah. is, it is Particularly tough. Particularly like you're thinking tough. about it, I mean, myself got a small business, but when your entire family is in is in it with you as well, yeah. like, you know, it's your everything. Yeah. And if things aren't going so well, yeah. you know, it is all consuming, right? Yeah. It is, this can't fail because X, Y, Z. It's everything. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's probably why, I mean, you know, I've always said that this group will always be successful and always, mm. always do well because of that. Yeah. Mm. It's mum, dad and everything in it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a region manager or an yeah. employee. It's, it is, this is their everything. And if this, as you say, yeah. if this fails, everything fails, which then, then which is the on risk. the other side brings, it, <laughs> brings the stress. So yeah. hopefully, you know, we're managing through this process. Um, you know, we think we've got a good path ahead. Um, you know, we're trying to put the tools and, and, and things there for the guys to try and detach. You know, a lot of the time we've got mums and, uh, mums and dads together in the business, so husband and wife, and we're trying to ensure that, that we've got a, <laughs> we've got a, a zone where we close the yeah. door and then we go home and there's a break yeah. there and there's a home life That's and a work true. life. Um, so yeah, and, then, and we've got families that are in there, you know, sons, daughters that are also in that family business as well. So we just yeah, we're just trying to do the best we can, but we've we've just got to keep talking about it because, you know, in the instances and we've had other instances within the group of apprentices and so on, um, no one, everyone thought thought there was a problem, but thought the person was getting better, mm. um, you know, and that person was jovial and communicating right up until the time. Yeah. And it's the communication thing that it just mm. it, we just got to keep talking about it and. Not put a stigma against it, no. you know. Um, you know, if you've got if you've got a broken leg, you can see a broken leg. If you've got mental health, you can't see it. But it shouldn't mean that you're afraid to talk about it. Mm. And I, it doesn't worry me if someone has mental health from an insignificant incident or because they've yeah. you know, served five tours in Afghanistan. They have a mental health problem, yeah. and it is an illness. And we need to get better at, at accepting the fact that that is an illness. You know, even if someone someone shouldn't be ashamed of talking to a psychologist. There shouldn't be a stigma yeah. associated with that. We should encourage it. Yeah. And there should be more of it. I agree. You know? So um, I don't know. We're just, just got to keep talking and keep trying to get better. And yeah. Well, Pete, have you read Pete Bell's book? No. Well, you've got to read that. Yeah. Sh- yeah. Anyway, mutual Stockland person. But yeah, I don't know. I agree. That sort of stuff needs to be out in the open. More things like your brother, are doing, brother yeah. is doing. Yeah. Um, the better, I think. We'll yeah, absolutely. Strong men talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. That's Great to that's a great way to end <laughs> wrap it, it up. I that's, yeah, let's touch on that. Perfect timing as well. Yeah, cool. <laughs> right in the midst of. I feel like November. we're like we're doing that real professional thing, like yeah. where we're plugging something at the end. Like, <laughs> I mean, where hey, do we find I like unforgiving sixty? Yeah, so Tim, yeah, Tim and Ben, <laughs> Tim and Ben have got a podcast called the Unforgiving Sixty. So Unforgiving Six Zero is their podcast, nice. and they um, they interview people who are leading lives less ordinary. So a whole mix of professional athletes, military people, business people. Um, you know, people from the health realm. It's yeah, it's it's quite good. Their book is called The Resilient Shield. So that's right. yeah. Uh, my brother Tim Curtis, um, his business partner Ben Pronk, and, and Ben's brother Dan have written that book. Um, and that's uh, that's got its own website. The book has gone gangbusters, so the cool. guys are doing really well, and that's they're so doing good. a lot of stuff with that. Yeah, so mate, so good. Thank awesome. you so much. Oh, it's heaps of fun. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. I know what we're gonna say. Like, oh, I barely like I barely said anything. But when I was going back, wet, like looking at what we had written, you covered all of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Like per- it's probably got a photographic memory or prompt, something. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much for oh, that. Oh, it's been heaps of fun. That Thanks was, for inviting me in. Really good. awesome. Yeah, cool. Appreciate it. And hopefully, yeah, I'll 
in terms of the future, we'll kind of get something from that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't right. have to know it what is, you're doing from no. day one, right? And it's a, I mean, you know, it's an, a property is just an amazing industry cool to space. be involved in. Yeah, such a cool space. Yeah. And so varied. There's so many parts to it. So, you know, you can be in the design, you can be in the marketing, you can be in sales, you can be in the construction side, but there are just so For many sure. pieces to it. So it's, it's cool. one that's cool going to be around forever as well. Yeah. Just like mm. Absolutely. The biggest. Yeah. Um, awesome. Awesome. Let's wrap it. I'm gonna have to give you. A, we'll give you a copy of the lingo as well. Yes. Can, yeah, we yeah, can, yeah. And we can give you a digital one. You can like. If Amazing. You, if you got any interns or anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking how you thought when you first jumped in, you're like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. We got it covered. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thanks, cool. Mike. Alrighty. Well, um, how are we wrapping up? That's it. Um, oh, follow us on all our socials. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned and. Um, I think that's about it. See yeah. you in the new year. See you in the new year. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs>